today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The potter takes that marred vessel and puts it back on the wheel, and the potter makes it into something new. You notice he makes it into another vessel, it says, as it seemed good to the potter to make. The context here, he's talking about the nation of Israel, speaking of the nation of Israel nationally. He's relating this to the house of Israel, but it's also a picture of how God works in our lives. In the same way the potter molds the clay, God is molding you into a vessel to be used for a specific purpose. The question is, are you cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life? Today, Pastor Dan will be exhorting you to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit and to allow God to mold and shape you into the image of Jesus. If Jesus is truly your Lord, then you'll allow Him to be master over your life and over your decisions. Allow yourself to be used by God as a vessel for honor. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And you've seen that before, a potter sitting at the wheel. And so he goes to the potter's house, he shows up, the potter is making something at the wheel, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred, in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And as Jeremiah is watching this potter at the wheel, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so the Lord commanded Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. He gets to the potter's house. The potter is uh, sitting at his wheel, making a vessel. And we're told in verse 4 that the vessel was, was marred. It was damaged. It was, it was ruined. It was useless. But the potter, and this is important, the potter didn't just discard the vessel because it was marred. Instead, the potter takes that marred vessel and puts it back on the wheel, and the potter makes it into something new. You notice he makes it into another vessel, it says, as it seemed good to the potter to make. The context here, he's talking about the nation of Israel, speaking of the nation of Israel nationally. He's relating this to the house of Israel. But it's also a picture of how God works in our lives. God is the potter. 
We're the clay. And, and we are marred, right? We're damaged by sin. We're, we're marred by uh, bad decisions that we've made in our lives. Uh, we're marred by um, past experiences in our life. We're marred by what other people did to us in our lives, what other people have done. And even though we're marred by sin, God doesn't just cast us aside because we're a, a, a damaged vessel. Instead, God puts us back on his wheel and God begins to work the clay and God makes us into something new. He takes the damaged vessel and he makes something new out of it. He makes us a new creation, right? That's what God does when he saves us and then he sanctifies us and he does this work in, in our lives and we're on the wheel and we're in the potter's hand and he's reworking us and he's shaping and he's molding and he's applying pressure and he's pushing and he's pulling and he's shaping. And sometimes we're on that wheel and we're going round and round and round and we're thinking, what in the world is going on? And it's just the Lord working. Making something new out of something that was once damaged and marred and and useless in a lot of ways. And he makes something entirely new out of it. Uh, There's a famous Bible teacher named J. Wilbur Chapman. And he says, the clay is not attractive in itself. But when the hands of the potter touch it and the thought of the potter is brought to bear on it and the plan of the potter is worked out in it and through it, then there is a real transformation that takes place. Right. This is your story. This is my story. This is what God has done and is doing in our lives. Real transformation. The potter working on us and working in us and working through us, transforming us, making us into something new. Turn with me over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a great little verse here in Ephesians 2. Verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. We get the word poem from this word. The word means his work of art, his creation. He's the potter, we're the clay. And, and we come to the Lord marred and damaged and ruined by sin and life. And he starts to work on us. And we are his workmanship, his work of art. And he makes us into something new created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And notice, go back, go back now to Jeremiah 18. It says here that the potter makes us into what seems good to him to make. 
the potter makes us into what seems good to him to make. And this speaks of the sovereignty of God. Just as the potter has complete authority over the lump of clay, so God, our creator, he has complete authority over our lives and what he's doing in our lives and what he's working into our lives and the person he is making us into. And the potter makes the vessel according to his plan, not according to the clay's demand. The potter makes the vessel according to his plan, not according to the clay's demand. And I think sometimes all of us forget that. We forget that he's the potter and we're the clay, and sometimes we try to reverse those roles. And we think, I'm the potter. Or or we say to the Lord, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you make me this way? Why don't you make me like that person? Why can't I have what that person has? Look at how beautiful they are and the beautiful handle they have on them. You know, why can't I have a handle like that? Why can't you glaze me the way they're glazed, right? We do that, don't we? We kind of complain about the vessel that God's made us into or what he's trying to work into our lives. Why do I have to have this? Why do I have to go around and around on this wheel? Turn with me to another place. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And here in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, it says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power? Over the clay, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another vessel for dishonor. He says here, who, who are you to argue with your maker and say, why, why have you made me this way? Why have you made me like this? Why didn't you make me like that? He, he says the clay doesn't argue with the potter. The clay just submits to the hand of the potter and the potter is sovereign. Over the clay. Now, I think sometimes people, when you talk about the sovereignty of God and this whole idea of he's the potter, we're the clay, and he has sovereign authority over us, some people get a little upset about that. and say, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But keep in mind, the potter, the potter is a loving potter. And he's a merciful potter. And he's a gracious potter. And he paid the highest price possible to purchase the lump of clay. Right? He gave his son to buy the clay, to buy you and me, to purchase us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's got a lot invested in us. He's got a lot invested in us. And so because he has so much invested in us, because he's paid such a high price for us, if, if we get marred or we get damaged, he's not going to just cast us aside and say, well, I'll just get another lump of clay. He's put everything into you to purchase you and to purchase me. And so if you, you know, fly off the wheel onto the ground and smash down on the ground, he's not going to just leave you there. He's going to pick you up and put you back on the wheel and remake you and go back to work on you. He's paid too much for you to just leave you there. So yes, he's sovereign, but he's loving and he's gracious. 
and He's merciful towards us. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 18. Look at verse 7. Look what God says here now. He says, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, to bless it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And and again, here the context, he's speaking to the people of Israel, specifically the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. The clay represents uh, the people of Israel as a nation, and God reminds the nation here that he is sovereign over them and that he can do with them whatever he pleases. And he, is, he has warned them over and over in the book of Jeremiah. He has warned them that he will judge them and destroy them if they don't repent. But if they do repent, he'll spare them. He'll bless them. And he, and he repeats that here in these verses, in verses 7 to 10. And basically, he's saying to them, you know, uh, if, if you change, I'll change. If you change, I'll change my actions towards you. Uh, he did that with Nineveh, the book of Jonah. He had declared that judgment would come upon Nineveh in 40 days. They all repented, and God withheld his judgment. They changed, and so God changed his actions towards them. In verse 11, he says, Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. He's he's very honest with them about what the future holds for them if they don't repent. I'm fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. This word fashioning here in verse 11, if you're taking notes, it's from the same root word as the word potter. You know, and so he's he's talking, he's still using this, this analogy of a potter making pottery on a wheel. And God says he's, he's fashioning, he's shaping a disaster for the people of Judah if they don't repent of their sins and turn back to him. He's got this disaster for them. And the disaster has a name. It's called Babylon. The Babylonians. The Babylonians will come 
and conquer the land if they don't repent. And as you know, they're not going to repent. They're not going to turn back to God. At this point, as Jeremiah is saying this, the Babylonians are already on the march. They're already heading towards the, the promised land. They're already heading in the direction of, of Judah and the land of Israel. He says here, but if you, if you return from your evil ways, God promises he will spare them. Repentance on their part would avert this coming punishment. And that's true for people too, right? It's not just true for a nation. It's true for individuals. If we repent of our sins, we avert the judgment of God. We avoid it. In 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And I want you to notice a word here in verse 7 and again in verse 9, the word instant there. The word instant in verse 7. The instant I speak concerning a nation. Uh, your, your translation might say, if at any time. And the idea here is, uh, the instant a nation repents of their evil, or at any time a nation repents, or an individual repents of their evil, God will, will uh, withhold his judgment. God will alter his response to that nation. For us as individuals, the instant we repent, all of our sin is put under the blood of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven of our sins. We're reconciled to God in that instant. In that instant. There's not some kind of probationary period. There's not some trial time that we have to go through. The moment that you repent and you call upon the name of the Lord and you confess your sins, forgiveness. You know, the word confess, it just means to agree with. That we agree with God. Uh, if, you know, if I, to illustrate that, if I were to say, man, it's really humid outside. And you were to say, yes, it's humid out. You just confess that it's humid. You agreed with me. And when it comes to our sin, if we confess our sin, if what, if, if, God, if what we're doing, God says is wrong and we shouldn't do it and we agree with him. You know what, God, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong in your eyes. I've agreed with him. I've confessed my sin. And once I acknowledge that to God and I, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, all of my sins are forgiven instantly, in an instant. At the moment. You know, I love what it says in Psalm 86, verse 5. It says, God is ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. He, want, he, he waits for us to repent. And the instant that we do, he forgives. He stands ready to forgive anyone. that turns to him through Jesus Christ. Now in verse 12, we see the response of the people of Judah to Jeremiah's message. Here's their answer to what Jeremiah is saying here. In verse 12, they say, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. The people say, that is hopeless. Or, Jeremiah, don't waste your breath. Don't waste your breath with us. They, they, they were not going to listen to Jeremiah no matter what he said. Instead, they were set on continuing to live how they want to live and following their own plans and doing according to the dictates of their own hearts. 
And by the way, that's how most people are in the world. The Bible says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many on that path. And narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And there are few that find it. The vast majority of people are on the broad road. And they're happy to be on the broad road. They have no desire to get on the narrow road. And they want to just do what they want to do. And follow their own plans. And follow the dictates of their own heart. And live the way that they want to live. And just stay on that broad road. And so now look at God's response in verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask now among the Gentiles, who has heard such things? The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? God says here in verse 13, search among the Gentile nations, search among the heathens, and you will not find one of them that abandoned their God. But, he, but the people of Yahweh have abandoned their God. He says, you're not going to find this even among the pagans. The heathens, they don't abandon their gods. But the people of Judah have abandoned their God. And God calls it a very horrible thing. He says in verse 14, he talks about the, you know, the cold flowing waters from the mountains of of Lebanon here, he speaks of that. And, uh, you know, that's where the headwaters of the Jordan River are, uh, up in the mountains of, of Lebanon. Uh, when, we, when we go to Israel, we, we go up to the northern part of the country, up to the border with Lebanon, to Mount Hermon, and you see where the Jordan River begins. You see the rivers that formed and come together to make the Jordan River. They flow out of the mountains of, of Lebanon, and the water that comes out of those mountains, uh, it is cold, refreshing, and most of all, it's dependable. It's always flowing. It never fails. It never dries up. And, and, and here is the meaning of verse 14. Judah has forsaken their dependable God for gods that are not dependable. And God says, you can look anywhere else you want to look. You're never going to find another nation that's done this. A people that would forsake a dependable God for gods that are not dependable. He says in verse 15, their idols cause them to stumble in their ways. They have, uh, they have uh, gotten them off the right path. They're misguided by these false gods they've turned to. Verse 16, they have made the land desolate. He says to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. People will be astonished at what has happened to Judah. This once prosperous, blessed, fruitful land will become a wasteland. The people will hiss when they see it. You know what that means? People will see it and go, wow, what happened here? And the answer is they forsook their God. He asked me how I When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile. 
But think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize them.